Hey there, NRL 22 fans. I've got uh, Travis and Carlos from Bushnell with me here today, and we're really excited to talk about some of their newer offerings and some of the offerings that they have uh, that might appeal to this crowd. They've been the title sponsor for NRL 22 for Carlos of the last three years. That sounds about right. So uh, <laughs> a while, yeah. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and turn it over um, to them to introduce themselves and let you know a little bit more about them. Travis, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ruth. Travis Overfelt, uh, engineer and product manager for Bushnell, um, and then also some of our sub-brands like Match Pro, Elite Tactical. So I work on all of the tactical and competition optics, uh, whether it be you know red dots, uh, spotters, or binos with a reticle, rifle scopes, uh, projects like that. Awesome. Carlos, you want to go next? Yeah, my name is Carlos Lozano. I am the senior brand manager for Optics. So I do all the uh, fun marketing stuff. Fun marketing stuff, like hanging out with us at matches, right? Hanging out at matches. You know, it's funny because I feel bad. I'm the uh, most undeserving person to shoot uh, championships and competitions, but <laughs> I, I get to go do it and it's it's pretty fun. So, Yeah, it's a good it's a good crowd to to suck in, I think. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So how long have each of you guys been with Bushnell? Uh, I've been working here for almost seven years. I started off uh, doing uh, spotting optics or general ops, you know, doing the engineering work on some of the binos and uh, more basic spotting scopes. Started working on aiming products about halfway through. And then uh, for about three years now, I've been dual rolled. So both engineer and uh, product management. Yeah. And I'm coming up to eight years this summer. Uh, started on the creative side and then moved over to the marketing side, probably right around the beginning of the NRL 22 relationship. So about three years ago. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so I know that you guys have some really exciting new products coming out. Um, I heard a rumor about some binoculars with a reticle in them. Can you tell us a little bit more? Are you allowed to share? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been, um, that project's been public since, I suppose, uh, SHOT Show this year. Um, and we've got it up on our website. You know, you can take a look at a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the more basic photos, uh, features, et cetera. So we've got like some studio photography, uh, images of the reticle. And, um, you know, for some of those who maybe are familiar with our Forge 15 by 56 binocular, that's what this product is based off of. Um, but we've had a lot of requests for getting a reticle in it. So we've got a uh, MRAD based reticle in the right barrel, um, but it's pushed down enough out of the field of view so that we're not, you know, rendering it unusable for typical spotting activities. Um, and then uh, some features that make it really cool are that, uh, you know, it's a dual diopter optical system. So you can still calibrate it to your vision like a normal binocular, um, but also has a secondary diopter. So you can really fine tune that reticle to your vision and glass with it all day without getting, you know, eye fatigue or a headache. And then uh, the reticle also rotates. So after you adjust the bino to your eye spacing or your IPD, you can uh, adjust that reticle to level it back out to the horizon. So you're not you know, craning your neck or uh, just using one barrel, et cetera. So you can, you can really set it up uh, to your vision, your physiology, et cetera. Yeah, that's super cool. I think I was probably one of those people that made that request because I run the Forge 15s and I love them. 
Um, I, I share them a lot with, with newer shooters and I hear a lot of good feedback from them too. Um, they're really great binos just kind of all around. So I'm really excited personally by the, the, uh, reticle in there for measurement. Cause otherwise I have to borrow Justin's and anyone who knows how tall Justin is, me, <laughs> you know, you, you can understand my plight there trying to uh, climb up his tripod to, to see through his spotter. Yeah. That's the, that, that one. And some of the evolutions we did for the match pro, I mean, we try to listen to everybody whenever, you know, we're at competitions or events and, you know, that's probably the number one feedback we have. People like those 15s and wish, wish it had a reticle in it. So uh, luckily we were able to grant that wish and, you know, had to figure out some stuff to get it done, but it, it I, I think it's a pretty manageable system with the way Travis kind of integrated it into the, into the optic. Um, and it's, it's, uh, there's another kind of piece when he was talking about the IPD or the interpupillary distance, uh, million dollar word, the, uh, you know, what, how, cause kind of what you described, it's a community people end up sharing and, you know, you'll have your binocular there on the line. You'll go do something, come back and realize it's not the way you left it. And it's not a big deal, but it sometimes can be a little bit of a nuisance. So he added another component to kind of maintain your setup, which I think is pretty cool if you want to go through that. Yeah, so there's an external accessory. Uh, we're calling it the bridge set stabilizer. And uh, you attach it in a tripod adapter location. Uh, so since it does consume a tripod adapter location, we added a second location. So two tripod adapters, um, you can... You can use an adapter in either one of those. You can use the bridge set stabilizer in either one of those locations. Um, and really what I set out to do with it um, was if you've ever used a high magnification binocular uh, outside on a with a tripod adapter in any sort of wind, you'll get some flutter, um, which makes it look like it's out of focus. And, uh, you know, the natural thing to do is to put your hands on top of the bino and apply downward pressure to stabilize uh, the binocular and the image. And the, the bino at that point naturally wants to fold unless you're kind of locking your shoulders, elbows, wrists, uh, sort of tensing up. So this thing prevents it uh, from folding. Once you've got it set to your IPD, uh, you attach it and expand the little forks and then it contacts the bottom of the barrels, uh, sort of locks it in place so you can be a little bit more aggressive with it um, to stabilize it and not worry about it folding. And then what we found, you know, to Carlos's point, it sort of serves like a, a zero stop, if you will, for your IPD setting. Uh, so whether you pull it out of storage um, and, and fold it straight to your setting or, uh, you know, kind of keep some of those folks that maybe want to look through it and use it while you're uh, away, kind of resists them from uh, messing with it too much. So uh, some cool little secondary features. You, of course, don't have to use it. Um, but it is included. So up to you if you want to take advantage of it. I know a lot of guys who would love to have that. <laughs> uh, you know, we, like Carlos said, we're a community and we, we love to share equipment. Um, but one thing that I do hear from, from people is it's, it's painful to watch people jerk their, uh, their spotting equipment around. So for those of you who haven't been to a match or have maybe only been to a few, if you're borrowing someone else's binoculars, just ask very nicely how to adjust them so that you can use them properly or, uh, or you know, get in the proper viewing point. I just had this happen to me last week and uh, at a match, I had a, a group full of newbies and, you know, I just 
closed my eyes and cringed a little bit um, <laughs> watching them try to struggle with the tripod settings and things like that. So just ask people. Uh, people are happy to show you how stuff works. Um, yeah, that's all, that's always a good thing. So those are really cool features uh, that I didn't know you guys had in those finals. I think I got to see them at SHOT Show uh, and was really excited about the prospect. So when when are those going to become available to the public? We'll have a, um, a limited dose, if you will, uh, in early July. And then we've got a bunch following. So we'll have uh, probably... Oh, I'm going to guess uh, 125, 150 pieces on our D2C site to start with. And then we have, uh, you know, another 500 pieces following. And of course, uh, we expect them to, to go through pretty quick uh, on that initial, like, go live. And uh, as soon as, uh, you know, we can reprove um, to folks that maybe don't always want to believe uh, folks like Carlos and I, you know, and the rest of the business. Um, then we'll we'll get some more on order and and try to keep feeding that crowd. Um, you know, it is under the the Match Pro subbrand, uh, but because it is you know a milliradian based reticle, it's not like you have to use it with any of our scopes. You know, it's going to work for anyone, uh, regardless of uh, whether you're running a Vortex or a Night Force or or what what have you. You know, as you mentioned earlier, it's a great vino, uh, performs up there uh, with you know, the, the biggest names in high quality vino land, if you will, uh, but you don't need to spend that huge money. So, you know, save your money for ammo, uh, additional matches, you know, or, or just pocket it and move on. What's yeah. the MSRP on, on that one? So it'd be 700, uh, 699.99, same as the uh, Match Pro ED rifle scope. Gotcha. And speaking of the Match Pro ED, and uh, selling out really quickly on your initial orders. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the the Match Pro ED? First of all, I'm curious, what does the ED stand for? Uh, so ED Prime uh, is what we call our extra low dispersion glass. So it's it's a high quality, low impurity uh, objective lens and uh, improves uh, quite a bit. Um, but one of the main things it does is imp improves resolution, so that fine detail. Um, and then it does that by, among other things, reducing chromatic aberrations. So what I mean by that, if you think about like, uh, oh, high school or, or, you know, maybe more like elementary or middle school, you think about a prism um, that makes a nice little rainbow in uh, your, your science class. Uh, well, that's not what you want with a precision optic. You want it to collect all of those light rays and focus them at your pupil. And anytime those, those rays separate away from one another, um, you start getting that striation and that, uh, that basically rainbow effect. So, you know, an easy way to see that is if you're looking at something like a, a signpost and you're trying to look at that, that sharp edge and you see maybe like a greenish uh, shadow, you know, like a really uh, thin, fuzzy, uh, pink or green, et cetera. So that's that's the rays separating away from one another. And uh, that ED prime material uh, allows us to mitigate all of those problems. Yeah, if you do a lot of photography, I think you'll also see it as called purple fringing in that world. Um, but it's, it's, it's wild because whenever I started working here, I remember them showing me uh, how light travels through an optic and the different wavelengths of light don't go the same way through it. So, you know, when you're, you're looking at an optical system and thinking, oh, it has to align all those different wavelengths of light to go to the same place. 
that's where that complexity in optics comes from. And that ED glass kind of helps helps do that. Yeah, so that's one of the, the big differentiators from our newer Match Pro rifle scope versus the other. Um, we've really jammed a lot more optical performance in it um, and didn't stop there. You know, we had a lot of users wanting us to add a zero stop. Um, so we did that. You know, we wanted uh, some people wanted to throw a lever. So we did that and we made it positionable. So it's a lot like our uh, Elite Tactical DMR3 and XRS3. Um, you can put it in a neutral sweep pattern. You can do a dedicated left hand, dedicated right hand. Or if you just don't like it, you can remove it all together and uh, fill that uh, blind tapped hole with a spare filler screw. Um, while we were developing it, um, we said, okay, let's you know check those boxes that's being asked for. Um, added uh, or went from a 30 mil to a 34 millimeter tube. So we've got more elevation range in it. Uh, we're now just over a hundred MOA of total elevation travel. And then um, found that we could keep uh, our price target and also add a few other nice to haves. So we've got a, a rev limiter, uh, or sorry, not a rev limiter, a pop-up rev indicator. So the this new turret design translates internally. So what that means is it doesn't, you can't see it from the exterior lifting or lowering away from the scope. Um, and that's the way our ET scopes work. Uh, so because it's internally translating, you you may not know what rev you're on. So that rev indicator takes care of that for you. Um, it's a, a physical knob that pops up out of the top of the turret. So you have a visual and a tactile indicator. Yeah. So for, for our newer people, um, when you are shooting further distances, you have to dial the scope up. Um, and that means you have to turn your turret further, right? And you will turn it more than one full revolution around. So this will pop up out of the top of that when you're ab above your um, initial turret range by a full revolution. So it'll pop up and give you an indication that you're at, you know, for example, 12 mils. And I'm a mill person, so MOA people, I apologize, but you'll be at 12 mils, for example, and it'll pop up, but it'll show you two on the turret. So it's 10 plus. Is it 10, uh, 10 mils per revolution or what are you guys at? Correct. Yeah. 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 And I mean, a good habit is always to, uh, after you walk away from the stage or maybe even before you walk away is, is roll it all the way back down to your actual zero, your 50 or your 100 yard zero, depending on what you're doing with it. Um, but you know, uh, things happen. You may be excited, uh, because you did well, you may be excited the opposite direction because you <laughs> did poorly or, uh, you know, the match, uh, or the stage director is just ushering you out of there. Like, come on, speed it up. Um, so there's, there's plenty of opportunities, uh, to forget. And then, uh, you, you know, your example, maybe you were at 12 and, and you dial it back down, but you only dialed it down two. And you get on that next stage, um, especially if it's a center fire match, and you'll you'll just torch it over the berm, um, which can cause you uh, a different kind of problem. You know, you might get uh, booted off the stage or potentially out of the match. So this uh, pop up indicator gives you a little bit more uh, confidence that you're that you have that turret dialed where you want it to be. Yeah, that would have been that would have been nice to have. Um, Few years ago, I guess when we were shooting against the Brigado team, and I was in Tennessee, was it? Yeah, and I did not um, zero uh, my optic, and uh, or go back to to zero. And everybody heard impacts, 
but nothing was moving. And I was really mystified, but I was hitting that crossbar of the, the, the swingers. And, uh, and like, there's a, I guess, impact. We realized what was going on uh, right at the end. And it was uh, a learning experience, but having that little visual indicator would be nice. So. Yeah, I, uh, I have done that myself at, at a big match. Um, just, it, I think it was a 50 yard spinner, a huge, like five inch plate on the bottom of it and just nothing, no feedback. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And I'm, I'm just, you know, mystified. So I send one more round and then I'm like, Nope, something's wrong. I check my, you know, check my turret. I'm at zero. And then I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, Oh, Yep. Okay. Yeah. I was off a rev. Um, so it happens to the best of us for sure. And I, I don't know anyone who's never done that in their life. So that, that turret indicator is something that's really cool. Is there also a zero stop on this one? Yeah, it does have a zero stop. Um, and, uh, it's a toolless zero stop. Um, but that's a bit of a misnomer, you know, some, sometimes you've got to take the, the turret off and then introduce some tools to adjust it. Uh, you don't need a tool to adjust the actual zero stop, which makes it really nice and easy. Uh, but you are still going to need a coin or a brass rim to uh, get the turret cap off. So not quite fully toolless, um, but it is easy to set. Our Elite Tactical version, also super easy to set, um, but you do need a little Allen key. And we include a multi-tool um, with all of these products we're talking about to, to help you out. Um, but Again, super easy to set, uh, lift the turret off uh, and then adjust. There's a, an internal collar. You adjust that by fingertip and then uh, wherever you put the turret back on, that's that's where it's gonna stop. Very cool. Yeah, I, I uh, now religiously bounce off my zero stop sometimes at the end of the uh, stage and also at the beginning of the next stage, just to be certain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to, I, we got to show you that Elite Tactical uh, set last year whenever we were setting someone up so you got to see that uh zero getting set in action so it was pretty right easy. that's right uh yeah i was a little bit i was wondering why my brain wasn't functional um at that match so that was the appendicitis match at the championship but yeah yes. we got um we got Bree hooked up with an elite tactical to, to finish out the match. That was super cool. Um and thank you Carlos for for being the hero of the match there. That was awesome. No problem. Yeah, I think she's still running that elite tactical, if I'm not mistaken. So I think so. So speaking of, that's another scope for people to consider for this sport. Um, what would you guys say about that one? You know, what are the the you know favorite features of that one? And you know, what would you recommend to people? Um, so the the match pro ED is in the seven hundred dollar price point, right? It's the MSR. Yeah, that's okay. right. Um, so what's the elite tactical at and and what are the major differences? Uh, so when you step into the ET realm, um, you're getting Japanese made product. Um, optically, though, I will tell you the Match Pro ED is uh, on par uh, with both our DMR3 and our XRS3. So you're not you're not really giving up much, if anything, in the Match Pro ED line. Um but it is, you know, for those people who have a little bit more money, want to try and squeeze out a little bit more performance, um, maybe our, uh, you know, country of origin uh, conscious, um, or uh, want to run the same kind of optics that uh, 
you know, our super soldiers are running uh, overseas. You know, these are these are the same type of optics that uh, snipers run. Yeah. Um, so we've got our DMR3, which is a three and a half to 21 by 50. And then our XRS3, which is a, a newer generation of XRS, is a six to 36 by 56. Um, definitely cannot go wrong with either of those. I will say, though, uh, if you're running these uh, and you intend to dedicate them to a rimfire uh, application or competition, the XRS3 uh, may not be the right scope for you because the side focus only goes down to about 45 or 50 yards. Uh, the DMR3 will go down to 25 and the Match Pro ED goes all the way down to 15. Uh, that said, though, I, I have heard um, from some of you folks that people are running the XRS3 in uh, rimfire competition, and it doesn't really seem to be a problem for them. Yeah, I've seen that before, too. I know it's becoming more and more popular to have a parallax setting that goes down further. I think for rimfire folks, I can speak for uh, a lot of that, you know, like the, the down to 10 yards is super helpful for indoor dry firing. Uh, so people like it for that because they can aim at a wall if they've got a long enough uh, space in their basement. So that's something that um, people are definitely getting into. But we do set targets uh, as close as 25 yards in competition. So it's nice to have a parallax that goes that close. Um, but I've I've fudged my parallax before a little bit too. So yep. it's definitely an option. Yeah, you can run a uh, an aperture stop for dry firing. So basically that's just a a lens cap with a, a smaller hole in it. And that allows you to take it down a little bit further, uh, makes it a little easier, at least for short, you know, shorter durations. Don't expect to be able to glass in your garage or your basement for hours on end. It will give you a little bit of a headache and uh, you'll need to, you know, maybe crank the light up on your target if you do that. But of course, outside, um, you don't need to mess with any of those extra tools. Um, but uh so I would I would say you know the XRS three um, maybe more of a center fire and uh, even ELR dedicated scope, uh, whereas the rim fire or sorry the DMR three is going to be that that nice uh, you know happy medium that crosses over both and uh, we designed the Match Pro ED to kind of slot in between them in terms of uh, the mag ratio so it's a, a five to thirty by fifty six so right in between those elite tactical products. Um, so it makes it a pretty, pretty easy choice if you're on the fence, um, or just, uh, don't want to spend quite that much money. Yeah. I will say just to kind of add to that difference. I think once you, if you've seen the elite tactical series or you get a chance, cause I'll, I mean, I'll, obviously I'll be at the championship and a few other places. So you can be able to hopefully get hands on with both of them. There's definitely a build difference in durability and weight between the two i think match pro ed will be fine for most situations but to travis's point the lead tactical is kind of designed to go to hell and back a little bit so yeah that yeah it's it's you know halo rated high altitude low opening um so it's gonna have heavier wall thickness um if you've ever adjusted the magnification on an elite tactical scope um whether it be in the field or at a, a trade show um you know they're usually pretty stiff uh and that's that's because we've got some additional interference in all the all of those seals in order to have that that halo rating um but for you know even a serious competitor i, I think the match pro ed is going to get it done mm -hmm. and, and we've got quite a few folks who have been running it uh since i would say 
solid year now. I've been running it in competitions. So there's some folks who have a few out there where they've kind of, at least in the beginning, sort of masked off the branding and kind of hidden it away from people. But they're they're definitely running it hard, abusing it. So I don't think it's going to really hold anyone back uh, as long as you're not you know, jumping off the top of barns with it or something. <laughs> um, Try not to do that in matches if we can help it. Uh, yeah. You never know. I know those match directors, though. They get crazy ideas. Yeah, step one, jump off barn. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to bang it around. Um, it's going to happen. You're going to hit it on props, whether it be the turret or uh, the objective bell, um, or maybe pulling it out of a prop, you might snag it on something. So it, it can take some abuse. Um, definitely don't be shy of it. Yeah. What is the uh, warranty or, or guarantees? What do those look like for that scope? So all the scopes we've been talking about and the bino are uh, 30 year and uh the only caveat you know since we're being fair here the circle of trust <laughs> the uh, uh the match pro ed is an illuminated version only so the electronics are guaranteed for five years but the rest of the scope you know the optics uh the chassis etc that carries the full 30. and uh since i mentioned the illumination um you know i was uh anytime i add a battery or any electronics to an optic um I get a little squirmy um, because that stuff is uh, troublesome. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I do all the red dot stuff and uh, boy, we really have to beat those things up because they live on pistols most often. But for a, a rifle scope, the way that illumination system works, it's uh, quite a, a battery hog, you know, because it's not just a single dot like on a red dot product. It's trying to uh, illuminate a wider area. So because we did that illumination um, in that product, we uh, added a six hour timer. So if you don't make any adjustments um, after six hours, it'll it'll put itself to sleep and uh, just ensure the next time you pull it out of your bag or out of your safe, it's not dead. That's so. for people like me. I've replaced the battery on my Senate level, I think four times and I've only had it for six months. Yeah, it's, it, I'm guilty of it too. So that, that's why we added it. Very cool. And then for the for the Match Pro ED, the illumination that illuminates the entire reticle, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, it's just the um, so it'll be like 10 mils down. Um, oh, right. It does illuminate the entire width of uh, graduations, but we do have I'll, I'll call them like quick acquisition thick bars. Uh, if you're running it, you know, down at a lower magnification, a lot of that fine grid. Uh, it doesn't really wash out, but it sort of uh, goes away because it's so thin. Um, so we have those thick, uh, bold bars uh, for like a quick shot if you were walking around the woods with it or something and, and needed it. Uh, so those thick bars don't illuminate. So it's it's good for any type of uh, low light shooting or if you're running a clip on stuff like that, it's not gonna just blast your eye with too much light. And it, it has quite a, a few settings in there with off intervals between. So you can turn it down way, way low if you are running night vision with it. Very cool. And so it's the entire Christmas tree down to 10 mils. Is yeah, what that's right. Very cool. I think that's uh, something we, we've heard a lot of feedback, but we run a night match, uh, a large night match for this style, Halloween themed. And so people get really into that. And um, I was talking to Justin recently about this because this is, something that I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't want to buy that scope because the illumination doesn't 
illuminate enough of the reticle. Um, and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, well, why does that matter? It doesn't matter to me personally. So why does it matter so much to so many other people? And then I realized that we host a really large night, big night match once a year. So if I was going to shoot a big match once a year and I cared how I did, I would probably also want the illuminator reticle. But since I don't get to shoot my own match, it doesn't matter as much to me. So um, I thought that was that was kind of an interesting thing, but I'm starting to see them pop up a little bit more. Um, we are not hosting ours this year um, because we have a, a lot of other stuff going on, but there's uh, another one popping up in Montana. Um, I know that Levi Sanderson ran one uh, in December of last year, the night match before Christmas, and that was really wildly successful. So it's starting to become a more popular thing. Have you guys heard any more buzz or is that something you guys get a lot of feedback on? Uh, if you want a conversation that you can't in a way win, have a conversation about radicals. Um, it's, I think, you know, Travis did a really good I job. I going to ask you about that actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think we do our best to hear what everybody's trying to achieve and, and what I think they need out of the product. And I'm sure there's gonna be somebody who is who like, you know, I wish they did this or that, but I think, you know, and you can add in whatever you want there, but I think it's, we do as much as we can to consider all of, you know, what everybody's needs might be. Yeah. I got a lot of feedback from uh, Justin and Nate and, uh, you know, totally useful, but it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, maybe they don't quite remember it this way, but I started off with a, a, an MRAD design and uh, they totally tore it apart. And uh, after much back and forth, by the time we got to something they liked, um, it was actually quite similar to where we started. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's I whenever I work on a new reticle, I try to bring something to the table rather than a blank sheet um, because there's just so many different ways it can go. Um, and, you know, we definitely want to get it right for the most amount of people that we can. Um, but, you know, you, you can spin your wheels for months on that thing, trying to perfect it. And, uh, you know, maybe it works perfectly at this magnification for this type of target. Um, but if you're running it at a different magnification for a different type of target, you know, maybe it doesn't work so well. So yeah, a bit of a compromise there, but I think, um, we've got in our match pro ED, we've got a, a pretty clean, uh, relatively basic, uh, but also feature rich, two tenths mill grid uh, tree style of reticle. Um, so, you know, at this point in the game, I think uh, it's hard to look at a reticle and say, wow, that's like totally original. Um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna borrow some things from some other scopes people may be familiar with. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we try not to copy each other. Uh, because more and more, uh, ourselves included, you know, we're including uh, not fabrication drawings, but full, you know, drawings in the user manual. You know, you can go out there and look at our reticles and, and really see every single measurement. Of course, a lot of it's already graduated and, and numerically marked, so you, you have a good idea of what it is, but maybe you want to know what this hash height is or what this hash thickness is. So it's all out there. Um, Anyway, back to my point, it's always tempting to uh, to lift ideas or copy, um, but uh, I, I think uh, ourselves and our competitors do a, a decent job at, uh, you know, kind of respecting each other's space. Um, in, the, in the ET world, we have 
you know, a two tenths mill grid style of reticle, uh, we call the EQL. Um, and then we've got something quite a bit different. And uh, a lot of people would say it's simpler, um, which is the G4P. And that's our evolution of the, the G series. So uh, George Gardner um, and some other folks at GA Precision have heavily influenced that. Um, in fact, I would call that their reticle. So, you know, there was the G2, the G3, and now the G4P. Um, and in those cases, uh, you know, I was basically just a, a draftsman and they were telling me what they wanted. So, so we've, we've got a few different flavors, um, for those, those folks and, uh, you know, all of those are Milleradian based, but, um, you know, stay tuned on match pro ED, um, because, you know, we're, we're definitely listening and, uh, you know, there's plenty of people out there that, that still want to run an MOA. So we're going to take care of those folks. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like I have conversations with people a lot. So the EQL, I really like, um, that's a, that's my style of reticle. I'll call it, um, the 0.2 mil marks for me, if you're shooting rimfire is really important. I think that that's the only thing that I would say that isn't personal preference as much as I would suggest to a new shooter, that that's a really good idea to have in your reticle for reference points, um, because the holdovers are, are closer together. Um, a lot of times with, with rimfire and the distances and the, the sizes of target really is what, what it is more than anything. Um, so you need those finer, finer reference points in the reticle. Aside from that, ever, and even with that, I'll say people have different opinions, um, and different preferences about everything. So, um, I don't envy you guys trying to appeal to the masses. I'm sure, especially Carlos, you hear at every trade show or booth that you're in someone yeah. saying, if you just did X, Y, Z, and I was one of those and am one of those people. Um, <laughs> so. uh, it, I mean, I, I always appreciate the feedback. You know, I, I love hearing it. You know, we, we, it gives us a lot of pieces to think about as we think of product evolutions and what to come out with next to Travis's point. Um, so I think the, uh, you know, that's the one thing I always have someone go, so what do you have in MOA? So hopefully soon we'll have an answer for them. Um, and, you know, even on these, these new products coming out, let us know, let us know your thoughts. So, you know, I, that's what I'm there for. So uh, I write them all down. I try to remember them. I try, you know, get into the team. Um, so and it's, it's, it's a good, I always appreciate the feedback. Otherwise I'm just standing there doing nothing. So, you know. So it's good for people to come up and talk to you about stuff. Okay. Yeah. Done. Noted. That's why we get along so well. Um, yes. Yeah. I don't hold back. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So can you guys, you guys do a lot of partnering with uh, actual precision rifle shooters and, you know, Travis, I know you've worked one-on-one -on -one specifically during the design process. Um, you know, what motivates you guys to do that? Um, do you feel like that's, something that's kind of unique to you guys? Um, what's sort of the, the philosophy behind that and your thought process and, and what makes you guys um, go that route? Well, uh, you know, we're, I would say uh, maybe one, one or two years, I would have called myself a semi-pro uh, competitor, I would say uh, last year and this year more more amateur level, um, you know, family, uh, has grown a little bit, so I don't shoot as much. Um, but you know, over the years, uh, I've learned to, um, kind of pick up on the things that I like. Um, 
and you know I, I would like to design something that I really like but of course uh, you know the product isn't isn't for me it, it's for our customers so I bring the ideas that I've got uh, to our brand ambassadors uh, to some other folks uh, that help us out a lot and you know pitch it off of them and uh, you know maybe it's total garbage um, and I, I just got to throw it away and start over um, but a lot of times I, I can bring a little bit of logic with it and explain why I think we should do a thing a certain way and and it just grows from there uh, so I think the rifle scope reticles it's it's pretty relatable uh, to anyone who's shot a bunch um, but whenever we did this match crow bino um, you know that's that's something quite a bit foreign um, you know there there are some good spotting reticles out there um, from Horace and there's a couple of others that exist in binos um, and, there, and there's plenty of patent obstacles that you have to work around uh, so we take a look at all of that you know try and figure out what latitude we have um what where is the green space where can i play uh where will our legal teams allow me to go um and then push that boundary if if i think it's something that's going to be useful um but when taking that vinyl reticle to some of our folks uh, internal or you know brand folks or even adjacent folks um that we trust um you know is, is something totally different you know like well i want a reticle in my bino so I don't have to carry around a big bino and a big spotter but how do we kind of toe the line of giving you enough information without it becoming obtrusive and just getting in the way when you're not wanting to use it so that that was an interesting project to work on yeah the uh I I think it's really just if anything to add to that it might uncover something you didn't realize about what you did but it also could help solidify things you weren't sure about so and then I think we also do we try to do as much as we can to yeah we talk to people who you would say are pros or professional level or spend a lot of time doing that but um you know also talking to people who run the gamut because you're going to have people who are new and they're going to have to learn something whenever they see this reticle is it is it something you can understand or someone can walk you through um because there's definitely some things that get super complex and just the the on-ramp is is uh difficult so i think just trying to toe that line i guess and... yeah and and like all walks of life um you know there may be someone who isn't at a pro level um but they've got great ideas yeah. so you know don't I, I definitely try not to dismiss anyone just because you know they're not getting to the podium um you know they may they may have fantastic ideas and they just don't have the the time to really Put in all the practice that it takes or maybe they're just not a you know born natural uh shooter at the sport so there's uh you know a lot of people out there and uh plenty of bad ideas but <laughs> plenty plenty of good ones too so uh it's usually worth uh you know bending your you know allowing your ear to be bent and see what folks have to say definitely which is i think a really smart approach um so i applaud you guys for doing that and i think uh, just knowing you know, that other shooters are providing these ideas helps people to understand kind of, you know, some of the design concepts. Because again, tons of personal preference involved in, in reticle design, especially, um, and also feature design of, of scope. So, you know, I think, I think that's something that I really appreciate about you guys is um, you're, you're always so willing to, to listen to feedback and entertain it, I'll say. Um, 
So yeah. So what else do you guys have in the pipeline right now? I know you've got some partnerships you've been working on with AB and things like that. Do you guys want to elaborate on any of those fun goodies? Yeah, I think we'll have some, you know, the uh, in the rangefinder category, some things that are coming that'll be really interesting to, you know, help people get uh, their ballistic solution fast, just off of the rangefinder. Uh, we've been doing that for a little bit with the Nitro 1800. And uh, I think the Prime 4000 and then the uh, Bone Collector 1800, which will be upcoming uh, rangefinders, will have, uh, you know, AB capabilities uh, built in. And we're working on evolving a few different things, learned a lot from some of the other ones we've launched, like the 1800 Nitro. And, uh, you know, giving solutions out there just to help people, uh, whether from a hunt scenario or, you know, setting up testing some stuff on the range, whatever it might be, we can, we can get that solution pretty easily. And with some of the stuff we've been developing from an accuracy perspective, believe it or not, not all rangefinders are accurate. Um, you know, we've got some different tests out there and some videos we'll be putting out that showcase what we mean. But I mean, I mean, we've seen it with other rangefinders and even some of our older models and certain things where you'd think a bright white steel target would be the easiest thing to range, but ends up the sun is an enemy of uh, lasers sometimes and can make that difficult. So I think kind of the same thing, listening to a lot of people uh, with their feedback of what they did. And we've seen more and more rangefinders at matches just to confirm ranges. Um, you know, I think match directors do what they can to get everything right, but you know, there might be something that's a little off and just being able to get that second confirmation. I feel like I, uh, that Tennessee match is where I feel like I really started seeing that come up. So um, yeah. I think just getting getting more, you know, more information, more information you can act on better. So yeah, I as a squad, we've started to range every target at big matches that we can. So with Rimfire, it's it's a little bit more difficult because some of the targets are so small. And if there's no firm behind it, um, you know, you end up ranging right past the target. So you have to be, you know, careful and mindful of that. But we've definitely had situations where a target might be off by a little bit. And, you know, as a match director, I can tell you that we do the best that we can. But um, I was also at a match last summer where we, we taught a class and then we had a couple of stages set up uh, for the practice day. And then they had set up the NRL stages as well. And I was shooting at a target and I was like, that, that is either my dope's way off or something's not right here. And I shot at a couple other ones and it was the same thing. So it ended up being the range finder that the match director was using was wrong. Yeah. Um, so I ended up giving him my range finder to use to, to reconfirm all the targets. And he had to move the targets a good 10 yards uh, in some cases, which is a big difference uh, in rimfire. So it's something where, you know, having that accuracy is incredibly important, especially uh, when you have these, you know, small adjustments in, in elevation at certain distances. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because even, you know, maybe that pristine white steel reads great, but then you get through the day and you, you know, you don't get to really range it. You're the last squad on it. And that thing is not white and pristine anymore sometimes, depending on what it is or what the situation is. So, you know, that could range differently because of the color that it is now. So it's, it's, there's a, some interesting variations that happen with the range finder and 
some of the new technology we have coming out allows you to kind of not worry about it. That that doesn't impact your results anymore. So I, I think the broadhead rangefinder, which we kind of started this on, which is an archery rangefinder, because um, we saw that come up in a situation with let's say 3D archery, because you've got different color foam targets out there. And on, in some situations, like a white target next to a black target um, at 20 yards was eight yards off. So on, on some competitive units. So, I mean, that's a big deal uh, in archery and it's a big deal in rim, rim fire. I mean, in certain situations, it's going to be impactful. So right. might as well get rid of it. So you're going to put out some, some videos. I'm assuming it's going to, you know, kind of showcase and educate us on all the things that you mentioned. When can people expect to see that and where are those going to be posted? So we'll have that, you know, on our social, we'll be posting on social, we'll post on our YouTube. We're going to start to put out a lot more informational videos on YouTube that help people get up and running with our products easier. And then um, obviously working with partners like NRL22 to get some of that information out there. Because, uh, I mean, there's some information to just how a rangefinder works. It's just to know. And, and, and whenever you're out there looking for new product. So there'll be more of that coming from us. So, I mean, social media will probably be the easiest place to get updates. Or if you're signing up for email on the website, that would be another good spot to get updates. Very good. Travis. You want to add to the rangefinder? Uh, I don't usually use rangefinders. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, rely on what other people are telling me the distance is. Uh, now, now, I will watch uh, through a bino or a spotter. And I'll try to see if there's trends. You know, obviously you're looking to see if people are missing left or, or hitting left, that sort of thing. But if you see people consistently hitting high or hitting low, um, you know, you might question, uh, is that target a little further or a little closer? Um, and I'll I'll usually just uh, pull a little dope out, if you will, you know, click it a tenth down or a tenth up to compensate. Um, but they, you know, they're definitely useful training tools. Um, or if you're in a, a hunt situation or a uh, NRL 22 type of a competition where you have to use them. I mean, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. NRL Hunter. Um, definitely. Um, you know, you need something accurate, but uh, I, I'm fine leaving mine in the bag most of the time and just <laughs> read, read, <laughs> reading the uh, uh, the program, the yeah. match program. I think that's the difference between your semi-pro status and my not semi-pro status is like, I, I need every variation out of my brain or else I start freaking out. Um, what am I doing? What's going on? So uh, that that's where it just and I, to your point, you can tell everybody's on, we're probably fine, but yeah. there's been some situations where it's like, nobody's on, something's wrong and you're next up. And it's like, I wish there was something I could do here. So, yeah, I've, I've maybe pulled it out in one out of 40 matches or something to, yeah. to look at a target, but, uh, you know, for better or worse, I've got, uh, bigger problems, um, than uh, is that target, you know, two yards further. And, and of course I'm talking about. 800 yard distance targets. I'm not talking about, you know, two on 20 or yeah, two yeah. on 40. Um, that, that's a bigger deal. Right. And as you get further out, those uh, two to five yard differences with rim fire and the uh, trajectory is also magnified. Oh yeah. It's fallen in pretty steep. So it's, it's pretty important. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's definitely something that, that I think differs maybe a little bit with center fire plus the targets for center fire tend to be a little bit bigger easier to to hit um with the range finder from what i've noticed 
so one of the features that we mentioned, um, just for people who maybe don't know what AB is, um, I should have I should have said applied ballistics. Um, so applied ballistics integration, and correct me here, Carlos and Travis, if I if I misspeak on any of this. Um, but essentially, the applied ballistics software will you know using an app on your phone. I'm guessing for these yeah. devices. Yep. So you have an app on your phone where you set up your gun profile and your ammo profile uh, to get your appropriate dope um, and what your drop is at various distances. And then what the rangefinder does is it will display your hold or your um, elevation dial uh, number for you right in the screen as you're ranging whatever that object is. So in a hunting situation, especially, I could see this being incredibly useful um, because you need to get your approximate dope pretty quick. You don't have time to sit there and write down all of your holds for various distances. So um, that's something that, that I see a huge use case for, um, but also, you know, simplifying so you're not typing everything into your Kestrel. Um, so do you guys want to elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I will say, you know, I, I may have sounded a little anti-LRF a minute <laughs> ago. Um, I just don't like having a bunch of devices. So uh, one nice thing about our LRFs and, and, you know, several of the competitors are that once you go through that initial uh, setup process, you don't have to have your phone in your pocket. You know, you don't have to worry about your Bluetooth connection or, you know, various objects having enough battery power to get you through the day. Um, you know, the, the setup then lives in the LRF. So, you know, you can leave your phone behind or, or just tote it around as a camera. Um, yep. you, you really only need the phone um, for like, location syncing uh, you know maybe maybe do it once in the morning uh once in the early afternoon so it updates your weather um and, elevation uh, and, sort of and thing, yeah. other than that though the 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 engine if you will is living in the in the uh, lrf very cool i see that being really useful um so we're getting a little bit close to the end of the podcast here and I do add a section in if you guys are willing to stay on and help me. Um, so I, I have listeners that send questions in and we do a little Q&A. So um, I'll read the question and, and give my answer, but it would be really great for you guys to give your perspectives too, um, which I think is great. We've got a mixture of experience here, Carlos. So you're, you're still good to go. <laughs> you can give your perspective too. Sure. Yeah. Good. Okay. So our, our first question um, is from... Adam, and he wants to know uh, what the 30 second punch list is of exactly how you self image and then your mental punch list and equipment list to check at each stage. So he wants to know what's your pre stage process, basically. And for me, I actually brought this up on my computer because I have a pre stage and post stage checklist that I use um, that we, we actually hand out in our classes as well. But step one is to read the course fire. And that means read it and understand it and make sure that I look at the props and make sure that I fully understand, you know, what the course fire is saying. So ask my questions and all that stuff. Step two, as we just talked about, is to verify the ranges. So as a squad, I, we don't necessarily each individually verify ranges, but we go up to the firing line with a reliable range finder, usually two between our squads at, at bigger matches and we range each of the targets to confirm the distance. Um, then I walk over to each of the shooting positions and I look at the targets uh, with my naked eye and with binoculars. Um, 
from each of the shooting positions. So that means if it's a low shooting position, I'm, I'm squatting down behind that to make sure that I can see the target from there. Cause I want to know for sure that I can, I can see every target from whatever, wherever I plan to set up my position on. Um, after that, cause I have the appropriate ranges. I understand the course of fire and I know I can see the targets. Then I'll, I'll build my dope card. Um, Step five is to visualize. So that's where I will actually picture myself in each of those positions. I will visualize everything from, you know, here's where this target is. I'm going to shoot that, then I'm going to move. So I'll, I'll picture in my head when I'm going to move positions, when I'm going to reload my magazine, every step of the process. So you're really picturing yourself going through every step. I'll think about what I'm going to be seeing through my scope during that time, where my hold points are on my reticle, if I'm holding things like that. After that, um, remove scope caps, check your bipod height um, and your other equipment. Parallax setting, make sure that my elevation settings there in all capitals on our reference sheet, I put zero stop because mm. that's, uh, that's a thing. What's um, definitely? Yeah. <laughs> yep, well, yeah. we're on, and then uh, zoom setting and then ammo magazine check. So that's all, that's 11 steps that I go through every single time before. And I would say, you know, step one through five are kind of together. That's all the mental preparation, getting ready for that course of fire. Step six through 11 is all making sure that my equipment is set properly for the course of fire. So I know it's a lot, um, but that is something that I, I really forced myself. We actually wrote this down for a period of time until it became second nature to do. So what about you guys? Uh, I, I'll go in between those two. Because I feel like you're going to be established to some degree as well. Yeah. Um, so I feel like mine's a little different because I, I'm going to use events where I'm going as a sponsor. So I don't get train up days because I'm usually that's when I'm working. So I, I don't get that time to kind of get ready for Saturday morning to go. Uh, so my my mental preparation at that time is I am here to have fun. Do not stress. I'll go through the course of fire that night to find stages that will stress me out. Like, what are the ones that I know from a positional perspective or something I really haven't been able to practice or take time where I know I'm going to be in my own head, identify those and just kind of get ready for those to just go, okay, let's use this as a time to practice. Um, and then the rest of it, if there was steps, they're never in the right order, the same order uh, between, you know, uh, stages is reset when I'm done with the next one. Like to Travis's point, I, I, there's been a few times at first championship where I didn't do it and I learned all those lessons there, so hopefully. And so I just try to reset, get ready, get go through whatever the dope is, get walk through what those steps are going to be, and then make sure I reload my magazines and make sure I have all those kind of good to go. And then just try to run through that and and not try to go fast. That's I'm really just trying to be patient, not stress myself out, see how it goes. So I'm definitely not going to win, but I can at least have enjoy something and feel like, wow, I really did better than I thought I would on that stage or that, that, uh, that prop or whatever it may be. Yeah. If you don't have time to practice, then when you show up to the match, that is your practice. So <laughs> do it, take your yeah. time, get whatever impacts you can. Cause that's, that's how you're learning and, and developing. Right. That's a, uh, something, something I, I started doing while well, I was shooting a ton of matches a couple of years ago. So I basically, that's all I would do. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to print out one of these checklists for you and laminate it for you, Carlos, you can put it on Thanks. your, 
tripod. Yeah. If if I can have like a shirt and then there you go. I'll, yeah. I'll just constantly look at my I'll look sad all the time because I'm reading my shirt. Um but yeah, it's it the other one, I guess the unofficial rule again, me not trying to set stress myself out is don't zero. Uh get the first one and at least at least. And then, you know, I'm not gonna clear it or, or clean it, but you know, it's maybe I will, but at least I got that one. And so it's yeah. like I got so it, it's very low bar for me. Uh <laughs> but now back to a no, that's good. That's good because everyone needs to understand their their current skill level and then maximize on that current skill level at a match. So don't expect, um, you know, don't get upset if you're not going to clean every stage. If you know that you haven't been able to practice and you don't know your dope, just use what you have in that moment. So in your situation, Carlos, this is, you know, you're, you're there for work. A lot of the time you're busy, you're doing stuff like that. You can't button everything up. We'll use that as an opportunity to say, okay, my dope might not be hundred percent accurate because I didn't get a chance to check. So I'm going to watch for bullets and see if I can make second round impacts if I miss the first one and things like that. I think that's yeah. good. Observing, observing everybody else is probably also like just seeing what people are doing, you know, oh, you, you, not necessarily for, for dope or anything like that, but just, oh, people are going left, right. You know, this part's tricky. You know, what, what are they, people talk and I don't even know if they know they're talking out loud. They just are. And it, it's, it's just, it's just being observant has been help, really, really helpful. For sure. Yeah, that can backfire too sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you might hear someone come off the line and, and they're saying, oh, there's a right to left out there when, uh, you know, maybe there was at that time and maybe it really never was there and they they pulled it and they've kind of tricked themselves into believing it. Um, you know, just to take a, a bit of a step back, I, I would say, you know, to use your phrase buttoned up, you know, you, you want to make sure your gear is buttoned up. Um, if you have enough shooting support stuff, um, just always leave it in your bag. That way you don't show up to the match and you're digging through your bag and uh, you're missing this one thing that you're, you know, just you've taken for granted and you're used to having because uh, that will stress you out and uh, mess with your head. So I try to leave everything alone. If I'm if I'm going on a big trip and I know oh, maybe the last match I took my uh, it was raining and I got home and had to get everything out of there, get it all washed and dried. You know, I'll go ahead and lay everything out so that you can take that that visual um, checklist. You know, you, you've got it all laying on the floor in front of you. Make sure it's all there. Um, and then uh, again, like we mentioned earlier, always uh, always zero out. So like. If you leave stage one and you go to stage two, my basic checklist is, is uh, you know, read the booklet. Um, obviously, make sure you're there for the for the stage brief. Um, that's your chance to ask questions, because oftentimes the the way the stage is written out in the booklet may be a bit confusing or it may just be wrong. So that's your opportunity to get that straightened out. Um, and then once, you know, you're you're kind of back into your own settling routine, uh, before you even start writing down dope, you know, make sure that your uh, your turret is zeroed out. If you uh, if you're one of those who likes to dial in a couple tenths of wind, or maybe it's just a really windy day and you need it, um, make sure you still want it or uh, take it out. Um, set your magnification to something in the middle. Uh, I, I I run uh, more center fire matches than than rim fire, so um, you know, there's I'm sure there's some crossover, but maybe 14, 15 is is what you're going to set it to uh 
14 or 15x and just leave it there. That's that's something that's pretty common amongst a, a, a newbie, if you will, is they'll show up and they'll lay down on the gun and GM in 20 or 25x zoom and and take their shot. And now they've lost their uh, target frame of reference and they've got to zoom back down and get resettled, zoom way back in, and, and they're just chewing up time. Um, you just don't need all that magnification. And honestly, you really, it, at that point, it's probably hurting you because you're seeing all that wobble and trying to compensate for it. Um, you know, make sure your magazine's full. Um, but I see that quite a bit. Um, it's, it's easy to do, I suppose, but um, it, it stinks running out of ammo um, whenever you've got enough time and you can see that target. Uh, or you do what I do, you switch to the other magazine, which you also did not reload. Yeah, I I would I would suggest keeping all magazines in your pack full at all times. Um, I don't put mine down until I've reloaded them. So so someone might be walking up to me asking me questions. They can follow me back to my bag while I go to get my ammo to reload it, and it does not go back where it belongs until it is. So occasionally I'll have a an empty magazine in my pocket, and I go, "Why do I have this magazine in my pocket?" Oh, it's because I didn't reload it. So absolutely important. Always yeah, always have them full. Um, I tend to hold a lot more than I dial. Now, if it's if it's a really long stage, you know, and it's all prone or all mod prone, I'll probably go ahead and dial. But for that positional stuff, um, I'm almost always holding. So, you know, make sure you're writing down the dope correctly. And uh, I'll normally have two columns, you know, so I'll dial to that first shot. And then I've got a column for what the dials are for the follow-up shots. Um, but I've also got a column for just what that hold is. So that that delta. Um, so, you know, once you, once you get comfortable with the reticle, um, and comfortable with holding, as long as the targets aren't really, really tiny or super, super far away, um, you know, I, I think that that saves time. Um, and it also prepares you for those stages where the match director or, uh, you know, a stage RO forces you not to touch turrets, you know, that, that will stress a lot of people out. Um, and, you know, you see people putting tape on their turrets and and even then still grabbing them yeah and like come on <laughs> come on man um so you know if you if you at least try to try to practice that um or even apply it in matches um i think it's helpful to to really utilize that reticle that's that's why it's there um and spend a lot of time on making sure that information is available um but you know really i i think to carlos's point you know, have fun with it. Um, you know, of course, you've put in the time, uh, the practice, the money, um, and, you know, maybe time away from the family. But, you know, you got to keep in mind, this is 10 or 20 mini matches. And, uh, you know, if you have a bad stage, uh, you know, pull it together and have fun with the rest of them. Um, conversely, if you have a really good stage, uh, you, you almost got to push that out of your mind, too, because you'll go in too hot, too overly confident, you know, that's when you load eight instead of 10. Um, and then you walk away from that next stage feeling like a bonehead. Yeah. And, you know, you're just messing, messing with your whole game. Um, and, it, you know, it is a taxing, uh, a taxing sport, you know, to put uh, one day or especially if it's a two day match to string that many stages together. Um, you know, it's tough to do. So, you know, keep, uh, keep working at it and uh, just make sure you're still having fun because if, if you're not, then what's the point? Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of things I just want to highlight for, for our newer folks. Um, the Zoom setting. So I run pretty much between 12 and 15. 
Um, in unless I'm shooting paper, I never go above 20. And I think if you're if you're shooting off of barricades, especially to your point, Travis, what he said was, you know, you're gonna notice your wobble more. Um, it's because you're you're basically multiplying, you're zooming in not just on the target, but also on how much your reticle is moving on that target. If you zoom out a little bit more, um, you know, it's going to give you more confidence in sending those rounds instead of making you develop bad habits, like trying to hold your breath or force things or use your muscles to stay on target and things like that. So, you know, zooming out feels counterintuitive, but it's a really great idea, especially when you're new and, and to Travis's point so that you can get, um, you know, reference points to targets and things like that. So really good point there. I just wanted to highlight. And then the other, um, point you made. And, and this is a personal preference thing too, for a lot of people. Some people like to dial everything. I really like to hold because it makes me a lot faster on these. Um, I just shot last weekend, a stage with 20 rounds in two minutes at, um, 10 different targets. So there's really not time at 10 different distances to, to dial that. Um, and I don't think anyone in the whole match actually finished the entire stage. So um, there's, there's situations where even when it's not forced dialing just doesn't make sense if you want to maximize your, your points. So I always tell, especially parents working with new youth shooters, when you're at home and you're practicing, no touching your turrets, um, just to get that practice in and get really good with it, because it's always, it's, it's easier to pick up dialing your, your turret later, um, than it is to learn how to hold when you're on the clock. And there's not a scenario that I've seen yet where the match director forces you to dial your turret. You can only dial your turret. You can't hold over. There, there isn't a scenario like this because how would they even know? You know? Yeah. I yeah. just wanted to keep your head in the scope uh yeah. to, to see what happens. Um otherwise you're not going to have a chance at making corrections. Um and you know you may be hitting the target and you're hearing impacts, but you might be hitting left edge the whole time. And then, uh, you know, as you're going down to a smaller, maybe it's the same distance, but those targets are getting smaller. Um, you're going to put that same hold on it and you're going to, you're going to biff it. So <laughs> it's always good to stay in the scope, um, get as much information as you can off of every shot. Absolutely. Okay. So we have another question, um, from a longtime listener, Teresa. She wants to know, speaking of personal preference and controversial topics, uh, two stage triggers or one stage trigger, what is your preference and why? Um, personally, I run a two stage trigger for both center fire and rim fire. Um, it helps me not jerk uh, the trigger to have the, uh, the second stage. So for me, I, I take up the slack and then it, it's kind of like the time where I breathe out and I really zen for a moment um, and focus in on, on what's about to happen is when I'm taking up the slack and then pull through the wall. So I learned on a two-stage trigger, which is probably part of it as well. Um, what about you guys? What do you run and why? Uh, all my stuff's single stage. I don't have anything wrong. I'm, I mean, nothing bothers me about a two-stage trigger, um, but, you know, running trigger tech diamonds and stuff like that, you know, I've, uh, it, it's kind of made me a snob. So I don't want any play. Um, if, if at all possible, I want that thing to be at, at zero movement until it breaks. Um, and it's almost to my detriment because I've been shooting a lot more pistol and, uh, you know, pistol triggers are not as nice as, uh, you know, <laughs> three or $400 uh, 
uh, bolt action rifle triggers. So I, I've sent in a, a couple of my pistols a few times, and, uh, and then I get even get so picky about people, uh, you know, dry snapping the slide because that'll that'll mess with a handgun trigger. But back to the question, I I don't know that one is uh, necessarily better than the other. I think it's personal preference. Um, you know, run what you like and uh, just make sure that thing is safe because uh, you know as you get as you get more seasoned, uh, some more stages and matches under your belt, you know, you find that some of those barricades where the, the gun is basically um, holding itself on a, a single point um, bag application, you know, you, you might say to yourself, oh, if I would have had a little bit less weight in that trigger, um, I wouldn't have uh, pulled that shot. So anytime you mess with it, um, be sure you know what you're doing and, uh, you know, uh, bump slam it on the ground, empty it, you know, then bump slam it, make sure that thing's not going to go off. Um, Cause uh, you know, obviously we got to be safe. Um, these are not toys, but uh, you know, even beyond that, no one wants to be sent home early, uh, especially if you're far away and you drove with a bunch of people, then you just got to sit there and watch. Yeah. No, I feel like I'm always running different setups um, just cause we'll have different stuff we're displaying or um, only thing I'm ever trying to do I haven't even really thought about because I, I don't know which trigger is even in there because I just have I well, I'm, guess I'm shooting this, shooting this Vergara today or I'm shooting the Voodoo another day or whatever you know whatever we have kind of taken to an event to showcase stuff but they're all single stage yeah, yeah I know <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think about it is what I'm saying is all I'm trying to do is just be smooth with whatever I'm doing and just because I'm not going fast back to that earlier kind of stage prep thing I'm just trying to also kind of try not anticipate anything just kind of go so it's it's very uh very established methodology here so <laughs> this is good though this is really good that we have multiple perspectives that's what makes this uh really interesting otherwise people would only ever hear my answers and that's not helpful so yeah it's good well and similarly there's always the flat versus curved um mm -hmm. i i run both i I suppose I prefer flat because it's always easier for me to know that my fingertip is at the same spot every time so that I have the same leverage, you know, because obviously if your finger is way up high, closer to the fulcrum, uh, you know, you're effectively making it a heavier pull trigger. So run, run what you like, and uh, hopefully you're forced to switch in the middle of the match. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, you should probably spend some time on other people's setups because, uh, you know, occasionally you you might have a, a rifle that goes down and you have the opportunity to borrow someone else's. But if, you, if it, you're all focused, laser focused on your setup, um, you know, you're not going to be successful with it. So in that regard, I think Carlos has a bit of an advantage because uh, he's always running something different. Yeah. Yeah, being able to run your equipment consistently is kind of the most important component there. So consistent trigger pulls every single time so you're not influencing the rifle is is a big deal. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's great to to try different stuff. Uh, Justin just had his trigger go down at the last match we were at in Utah. It was like moon dust out there up to our ankles, um, just a ton of dust. There was a, several rifles that went down during the match. Uh, and I think... Justin was sharing his rifle with someone. Uh, he ended up pulling the trigger off of my gun to throw on his to finish out the match. And, and it was kind of crazy out there. So to your point, Travis, you got to be prepared for anything. Very good. 
Well, that's the, uh, the last question we have for our viewers uh, or viewers, listeners, because uh, this is an audio podcast. Um, do you guys have anything else that you want to share last words? Uh, I think just there, there's some of the updates on that product, the Bino, some of the stuff we talked about, rangefinders, upcoming product, events, all that kind of thing. I think our Bushnell underscore official on Instagram, some of our social accounts is probably where to get the best updates from what's going on or where we're going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's just where we're trying to do more there. So feel free to engage on there whenever you can, uh, send questions, do whatever you want, and we'll be ready and to respond and, and engage. Yeah, and if you're a early adopter, if you will, of uh, our Match Pro ED rifle scope and soon to be Bino, you know, thank you very much. But yeah. uh, I, I will say there there may be some frustration out there on inventory. Um, so you know, hang with us. Um, we're definitely doing everything we can to bring more in. Um, but you know, th there's a balancing act there. You, you don't want to go overboard and uh, wreck a program. So we're uh we're definitely bringing more in and uh keep checking our website we're also uh, sending them out to various uh, distributor partners so uh, there'll be some other opportunities uh, outside of just bushnell.com that's exciting thank you guys so much for for being on today and for our listeners keep sharing the love absolutely thank you for your time thank you